Okay, welcome back. Good to see you. Um, yesterday we began a series of four messages that we're doing over these mornings from the, the New Testament letter to the Galatians. The Apostle Paul uh, wrote to these churches in the area of Galatia who were allowing some teaching into their lives that was robbing them of the freedom that they had already received from Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ, the good news that we call the gospel, the message of Jesus, is intended to bring us freedom, to bring us liberty, deliverance, to, to, to take us away from the bondage and captivity of the past, uh, the power of sin and guilt and shame in our lives. And to cause us to be free, to feel free, to know that we're free. And yet we as Christians, as those who've been set free by Jesus Christ, can bring ourselves under bondage once more. And because Paul noticed this happening in these churches, he wrote this letter, which is an amazingly passionate letter. Uh, You should read it yourself and give some time to it. Maybe this week, maybe when you get home, read it, think it through. We're we're trying to unpack it as we go through these mornings to see how it can apply to our lives. And what I want to do today is just read from the end of chapter 3. So if you've got your Bibles with you, Galatians and chapter 3, verses 23 to 29. And then we'll pray and then we'll get into what it has to teach us today. Now... Before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all Sons of God, through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to to promise. Let's just pray together right now. Father, this is difficult for us to get our understanding round, but your Holy Spirit will make all the difference. And so we pray that you will send him now to bring light in darkness and to help us through these words written 2,000 years ago to enjoy the freedom, the liberty that you've called us to as your children. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for what he has accomplished for us already. And we pray, let it be known in its power in this tent and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Paul had been teaching these churches and they had received his message. They were really pleased with what he brought them into. But then they received some other teachers and they kind of unfriended Paul. They, they basically said, well, we, we got some new people now and we, we prefer their message. And it's, it's weird for Paul that they do because he can see what's going on. He can see that what they're in fact doing is bringing themselves back under 
what he calls the law, the law. The law is a big theme throughout the whole Bible and certainly in the letter to the Galatians. When he talks about the law in this letter, he's referring to the long system of specific detailed instructions that God gave to Israel through Moses in the Old Testament. A long list of many, 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 many laws, rules, regulations. And at the time when he's writing this letter, it seems that they were particularly feeling the importance of the food laws, what you're allowed to eat and what you're not allowed to eat, and who you should eat with and who you should not eat with. These became a big deal to them. And the, the Sabbath observance, in other words, keeping their Saturday in a really religious way. Keeping a long list of very strict rules about what they should and shouldn't do on the Sabbath. And then finally, circumcision, which we talked about yesterday. This means that circumcision for all the men became essential if you want to be part of the people of God. These are the three sort of badges that are mentioned in the book of Galatians. They're, they're ways for people to identify as I'm part of the people of God because of these three things. I keep to these, which means I'm in. And Paul was saying to them, you've missed it so badly. In Christ, you're already in. You need no law to qualify you. Jesus is the one who kept the law perfectly on your behalf. And you're going back to these rules. Why would you do that? It's a bit like, I suppose you may have noticed if you, if you have a dog or you, some, one of your friends, I've never had a dog, but I've noticed with dogs, if you try and point at something for a dog to see, like maybe you throw a ball or a stick and the dog doesn't know where it is, so you say, it's there, it's, it's there, it's, it's over there. And the dog becomes obsessed about your finger. The dog is really excited and really, really wants to help you and is glad that you're involved in communicating with the dog. I'm just a dog and the master is telling me something. This is so exciting. And you're saying the ball's over there. The stick is over And the dog's like, finger, finger. And, and really Paul's saying that's kind of what these teachers are doing. The law was intended actually to point us to Jesus. But we can become obsessed about the pointy finger rather than about the thing the law points to, which is Jesus. The whole book actually is intended to present us with our need for Jesus and who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do. But we miss the point when we, we go back to these laws and we try to use them as qualifications to get us into good relationship with God. And I would say generally that's what we do often as Christians, okay? You don't have to be a, a first century Galatian Christian who's tempted to get circumcised, as if that's going to be a problem for us here. I, I know that's not the issue that we face, but we face issues similar, okay? We face all kinds of temptations where we try to use certain kinds of badges and things that we do to show God that we're, we're really in with him. And really what we're trying to do is make ourselves happy by qualifying ourselves before God. If only I could do this much for God, then I think I would be happy. Then I think I would be contented. Or if only I could do this much, then I think other people would accept me. And if I was in with the right people, then I would be happy. If I was in the chosen people, the respected people, the in crowd even at school or whatever, then I would be happy. 
We imagine ourselves being fulfilled because we want to belong to a certain kind of level of qualification. If I'm in, then, 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 then I'll be contented. And like I say, what we're doing is we're looking at a pointy finger instead of what it's pointing to. God, through what Jesus has done, has brought us into a relationship with him that means we can enjoy liberty and freedom. What happens is we, we it's like getting married. You know, you get married to somebody uh, to be happy with them forever. And the Bible actually talks about Jesus as a bridegroom and the church is his bride. It's like we've been married to him. But in order to build up our relationship with our new husband, we build up a really close relationship with our ex-boyfriend. We go and spend hours and hours with our ex in order to build our relationship with our spouse. That's what you do when you go back to rules and qualifications and tick lists and things that you try to do to impress God. You're kind of saying, God, I, I'll, I'll go back to my old ways to, 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 to enjoy the new way. It doesn't actually make any sense. And this is why Paul's letter is so important. And what we face when we get to this point in the letter then is the question, what, what is it that the law is even for? I mean, he asks that question in, in chapter 3, verse 39. He says, why then the law? What was the law for in the first place? And he starts in this chapter, or late in this chapter that I just read to you, the last bit, chapter 3, to give you some explanation of what the law does and also what the law can't do. So he uses three images to help us think this through. The first is that he refers to the law as a prison, as a prison. He says that in verse 23, where he says, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Now that's, that is a dark and negative description of the law. It's not the only place where the Bible talks that way about the law. In fact, if you go to 2 Corinthians 3, it talks about the law as a death written on stone, a ministry of death. And back in verse 10 of chapter 3 of Galatians, Paul talks about the law as like a curse. So he, he talks in very dark terms occasionally to get the point across. He wants us to see that coming under the law, it really is a negative thing. It does bring you under bondage. It brings you into prison. The law doesn't help you. The law doesn't give you hope. If, if you try to live your life to a certain standard, thinking, if I can just keep this standard, if I can just be good enough, then I will be impressive and then I'll be content and then I'll, and then I'll be happy. Generally, what is likely to happen is misery. It will generally bring you into a constant sense of frustration, disappointment with yourself, maybe even hatred of yourself. And Jesus did not come to bring you into self-hatred. But many of us as Christians, we kind of live and imagine that that's, that's what he did do. Because we're prepared to live in the prison of the law where there's no hope for us. It doesn't help you. The law just says, this is what you did wrong. This is what you did wrong yesterday. This is what you did wrong last week. These are the things that you said you would do and you didn't do. These are the things that you wanted. These are the people that you said you would be like. Look at them. Look at how clean and lovely they are. Look at their special lives. Look how rosy-cheeked they are. Look how special they are in your church. And you said you'd be like them. These are the people you've got to be like. How's that going? It brings a sense of 
frustration, disappointment, exhaustion. I can't do this. I just can't keep up with the standard that I've set for myself, the, the standard that I feel that God has set for me. It will exhaust us. Failing that, if it doesn't exhaust you, it's possibly because of something even worse. It's possibly because you think that you've made it. <laughs> you can actually think, yeah, I've actually achieved. I'm doing quite well as a Christian. I'm, I'm doing really well. In fact, to be honest, quite a lot of Christianity as it gets taught around the world today is not much more than just how to be happy by keeping some rules. How to, how to be a happy Christian person. Here are some things to do. Do these things and you will be a happy Christian. Do these things and, and you'll have a happy Christian life because you're doing the right things. Because you're keeping the rules, so you're in, you're fine, everything's cool. You've made it, well done. And you'll find lots of Christian teaching, sadly, books, stuff on telly, that will sound a lot like that. But what they're offering really is, I'm afraid, a very shallow version of the law. <laughs> if, you, if you think that you've done well by the law, then you need to take another look at the law. See what it really demands of you. It won't encourage you. And you could spend your whole life thinking, yeah, I'm doing really well as a Christian. And then one moment suddenly have the realization, all this time that I thought that I was doing well as a Christian, I was proud of doing well as a Christian. So in fact, I was guilty of the worst sin of all. The sin that got Satan thrown out of heaven. Uh-uh, not the right thing to do. So therefore, even my good stuff, even the stuff I'm proud of, is an offense according to the law. It reminds me of a, a gift video that someone sent me recently. Just roll this, this video just to give you an example of the kind of thing this looks like. Can we just, can we just show that a few times? I, I could spend a day watching this. This is just fun. Come on, let's just keep going. This, in fact, I'm happy to stop preaching. This is just delicious. There she is, triumphant. It's just great. Yeah! Woo! Glory, misery. Victory, truth. Successful Christian life. Oh no, I'm a sinner. Pride comes before a fall. There you go. We could keep rolling it, but we'll stop there. You get the idea. Just at the moment, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. And I'm a good Christian. I went to New Day. And I read my Bible. And I prayed every day. And I kept it going. And I told some people about Jesus. I even put some money in the offering. I, I have made it. I'm so good. Because, oh, it wasn't ever about just trying to keep rules. Actually, the heart attitude of pride in the end disqualified me more than any of the other stuff. Jesus was brought somebody once. You know this story perhaps from John chapter 8. There were a group of people who loved the law. And some people love the law because it makes them look good, apparently. They think, they think that, it's, that they've succeeded. They brought a woman to Jesus who had been caught in the act of committing adultery. They didn't bring the man, interestingly. They just brought the woman. And, and she's dragged before Jesus. And they say to Jesus, okay, by the law, she is supposed to be condemned, even to death. What are you going to do about it, Jesus? Now, you, you and I have 
grown up in a world where we kind of imagine Jesus being basically a nice man. The world sees Jesus as a kind of proto-60s hippie. He was kind of a nice guy. And Jesus is bound to say in this story, oh, guys, that was the Old Testament. That was the law. God's, God's different now. This is the New Testament, baby. We, we have a different God. God's taken some meds. He's got a life coach. He's calm. He doesn't mind adultery. He's cool with that. He's down with the kids. He loves adultery. It's fine with him. So take this lady somewhere else. Give her some ice cream. She's fine. And we might expect that because of the weird idea we've got of Jesus. But you need to know that's the opposite of the truth. Do you know Jesus stood publicly in the Sermon on the Mount in front of the world and said, if you lust after somebody with your eyes, you're committing adultery. Jesus did not lower the bar. If anything, Jesus raised the bar. You need to know this. Jesus hates adultery. Jesus is God. God is not an adulterer. When somebody sleeps with someone who is not their husband or wife, they are saying, as an image bearer of God, this is what God is like. God is faithless. God can't be trusted. That's blasphemous. God hates adultery. He hates it. Jesus hates it. So don't think that Jesus is going to sit there saying, oh no, this poor lady, she's done nothing wrong really. No, he knows she's done something terribly wrong. Somebody's going to have to take the punishment. Someone's going to have to condemn this woman. Someone's going to have to be condemned. Jesus says, perhaps you know the story, to the whole crowd of people, let the one who hasn't sinned cast the first stone. There's no stone. There's just quietness as these rocks fall on the ground. She's on the floor waiting for the first rock to be hurled at her skull. And she waits a long time. And then she just hears these one pair of footsteps coming over. And says, does anybody condemn you? And she looks around. Oh, they're all gone. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Is that because Jesus says, well, God doesn't care? No, Jesus knows that someone will have to be condemned. Someone will have to pay the price for her adultery. And as we heard last night from Andrew, in my place condemned, he stood. The law had to be properly fulfilled. This righteousness has to be sought. Someone has to pay the penalty. Jesus has come to accomplish it. The mistake that we make, though, is we think, yeah, that's how you become a Christian. You become a Christian because Jesus forgives you for the sins of the past and wipes the slate clean, and that's good. You're a, you're a new person now. You're a Christian. That's good news. From now on, to carry on in your relationship with Jesus, you have to do good things. You have to pay him back. You have to show him you're worth it. You have to do a 50-50 arrangement. He does stuff for you. You do stuff for him. That's the Christian life. It starts with God forgiving you. It carries on with you paying God back. Listen, the gospel is not about Jesus just saving you so that you can carry on working it out yourself. The gospel is about Jesus saving you all through. The gospel is not the ABC of life. The gospel is the A to Z of life. 
It is the whole house. It isn't just the front door. Every day I wake up with the same need for a saviour as I had when I first believed in him. And every day my righteousness, if it is built for one moment, for one shred of time on my accomplishments, my achievements before the law, I am finished. And so I should never, even on my best day, even when I'm winning and breaking the tape, ever put my hope in my performance. And those are the times when I'm most likely to. So I have to deliberately turn away from my performance and say, Jesus, I'm trusting always in what you accomplished for me. A friend of mine puts it like this. It's it's a bit like uh, the difference between a climbing wall and a trampoline. For many of us, generally for all of us, if we're not careful, we will think of the Christian life as a climbing wall where we're competing with each other, really, to get to the top of a climbing wall. It's a tough climb, it's difficult, it's a lot of pain, it's a lot of risk. You can fall down, you can hurt yourself, and you're always trying to accomplish something. If only I could reach the top of this climbing wall. And I I noticed that she's not doing so well as me, she's not as high as me, so that at least gives me some sense of gratification. That, you know, I may not be doing as well as her, but I'm doing better than her. I'm not doing as well as him, but yeah, but he's definitely struggling. So I'm, I'm kind of in the middle. I'm kind of doing okay, but really, I've got to get up there. That's how we might see the Christian. That's how the Galatians were beginning to see it. And it wasn't helping them. And he said the difference, <laughs> or Christianity is the difference between a climbing wall and a trampoline. Imagine you're getting somewhere on the climbing wall, and then you realize how badly you're doing, really. You realize the pride in your heart, and you just fall back. You fall back, you fall back, and you land on this massive trampoline surface. Of course, you know what happens. It launches you back up. In fact, it's such a huge and amazing trampoline. It's such a springy, bouncy trampoline. It sends you right up higher than the climbing wall even goes. This is the law this is the gospel. I fall back. And actually what I do best is I realize I haven't got it. I climb up by falling down. Do you understand? I am exalted as I am lowered. As I see my need, my brokenness, as I see my sin and my guilt and my shame, and I bring it to Jesus, that's the only way actually that I can be lifted up and exalted. We need to see the difference and live in the freedom of it. Otherwise, we will be in the prison that Jesus, or Paul describes in this letter. So the first thing that he describes it as is a prison. Secondly, a guardian. A guardian, verse 24 and 25. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Now, now, this is important because it helps us to understand actually how the Bible fits together. The Bible is an amazing book, but it's a long book. It's a big, long story. It is a huge, epic drama that takes time to unfold. It's got lots of pieces to it. And in order to understand things like Galatians, we need to know the story, roughly which part of the story he's in, which part of the story it fits into the part that he's talking about. He talks about the law here as a guardian. The word, it's kind of like a temp, well, kind of like a full-time babysitter who looks after a family's children for a few years while they're growing up. 
like a nanny, like, like a, somebody who kind of picks them up from school, looks after them in the house, makes sure they're behaving and they're safe. Not the parent, but someone who temporarily looks after the children, a guardian. And the law is basically that. That's what he's saying. The law had a place. In Israel's story, the law was very important. Because there was a long time during which Israel wasn't grown up into sonship in the full way that that Jesus invites her to be. Jesus invites anybody to come into this relationship with God the Father as a son or a daughter. as, As God's child. To belong to God in that beautiful family way. To be adopted in. But during the time of waiting, the law was like a guardian. Kind of keeping us basically kind of controlling the nation's behavior, I suppose. Not changing the heart, not bringing anything profound underneath the bonnet, but just, just keeping the nation under control until such time as Jesus came. That was roughly the idea. It helps us if we understand it that way. If we don't understand it that way, we'll get confused by our Bibles. We'll read the laws of the Old Testament. We'll think, well, how, how do I obey this? You know, do not cook a goat in its mother's milk. I'm sure most of you really get helped by that verse when you read it in the morning on your way to school or whatever. It's like, how do I apply? What has this got to do with me? But you need to see how the Bible is a story. It's like any good story. It's like a movie. It's like James Bond or something where, you know, James Bond gets told at the start of the film, the big plan in this movie, Mr. Bond, that you're part of, is you've got to kill this bad guy. There's a bad guy, he wants to kill, he wants to blow up the world, he wants to do something awful, and he's, he, he lives somewhere, you know, he lives always somewhere exotic, and, and you need to go and destroy him. That's what you've got to do, Mr. Bond. 007, that's the, that's the plot right there. But what often happens next is they say, right, in order to do that, we need you to get some information from our contact in... And it's always, again, some exotic location. It's somewhere like, you know, Tokyo or Singapore or Hawaii or Fiji. It's never Reading, is it? It's never Scunthorpe. It's just, it's always somewhere exotic. And you've got to get this information from a supermodel, never from an ice cream man or something. It's always from someone extraordinary in an extraordinary place. And he goes there. Now, he goes there for that part of the film. He then has to, when he's done that bit of the story, got the information, you know, smuggled something across, got hold of some, some contact, he's got to do the next thing. It would be a terrible film and he would be a terrible agent if he said, well, I've, I'm keeping to my orders, I'm staying in Reading. I'm not moving on, I'm doing what I'm supposed to, I'm staying here in this place. No, that would mean that he's missed the point of the whole story. He's made one part of the story bigger than it should be. He's made one part of the story into the whole story. And the law mustn't be made into the whole story. That's what we got. We read the laws. We read the descriptions of, of specific behavior. We mustn't misunderstand the role they have. And that might help us if you understand your Bible that way. It will free you from some of the confusion that we might get into. The law has a place in the history of God's people. And it still has a certain place that we, could, we haven't got time to go into even today. But it's not to be the way that a Christian relates to God. When I uh, was at college and school, I used to come home sometimes from school on the bus. <clears throat> and, um, you know, when you're on a school bus, sometimes the bus driver will, will have to, you know, deal with, with things that are wrong on the bus, like get your feet off the chairs and, you know, stop, stop 
setting fire to people on the bus stop, you know, all the stuff that you, you do on your school bus. And I, you know, he, would, he would regulate the behavior on the bus just to make sure that we got home. <laughs> that was his job, get us home. And, and when we get home, I, I'd get off the bus and, and walk into my house. If I, if I sit down in my sofa in my lounge and put my feet up on the table in front of me there, the bus driver doesn't come in my house and say, get your feet off the table. No, he's done his job. Now, my parents, they might have something to say. But that's my family. That's a different relationship altogether. The, the law has a different relationship to people than your Father God will have with you. And we have to learn now, if we belong to Jesus Christ, to relate to God as a child to a father. Not as a law keeper to a law or even to a judge. It's a different kind of relationship, different kind of obedience, different kind of, of motive altogether. The law was a guardian. Final thing, the law was a divider. The law was a divider. And this is there in verses 26, 27, and 28. It says this, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, as according to the promise. He's, he's talking here about that motive within us that wants to be included in the right group. That, that builds identity on belonging to the right group. What we tend to do in life is hold on to any shred of confidence we can from, from our identity. If, if we can. If we can feel like, yeah, I belong to the right group. For some people, it will be the ethnic group we belong to. The color of our skin. For some people, it will be our education. Where we went to school. For some of us, it will be how much money our parents have made. For some of us, it will be... Something so trivial, it will be what phone we've got, how many likes we get on Facebook, how many followers we've got on social media, how many likes on Instagram. It will be, it will be if, I, if I'm in with these people, if I'm accepted, then I've made it. And for these people here, Paul's writing to, there would have definitely been a kind of hierarchy. On the ladder, you would have been somewhere higher if you were a man. You would have been somewhere higher if you were Jewish rather than a Gentile. You'd have been somewhere higher still if you were free rather than slave. So somebody who was a man, Jew, and free would daily thank God. In fact, there are prayers that we have that were written at the time of the first century. Rabbinical prayers that literally sound like this. I thank you, God, that I was not born a woman, I was not born a Gentile, and I was not born a slave. I thank you, oh my God, that those things are not true of me. You have a whole generation of people growing up, reading those prayers out to themselves, thinking God, God was good to me. He didn't make me one of those contemptible things. 
you see how the gospel of Jesus Christ comes right into the heart of that way of thinking. Questions it, turns it upside down, says, no, that's completely the wrong way to think. Because for the Christian, all our old solidarities, all our old sense of belonging, the things that made us feel in, even here at New Day, it can feel like this. The people that I'm in with on my site, the crowd, the gang, the guys I hang with, these are the people that make me feel like I've arrived. These are the people that qualify me, that validate me. For the person who's become a Christian, that doesn't make sense anymore. Why? Because we've been baptized into Jesus' death. We've gone down into death and been raised up with him. We don't even belong to those old solidarities, those old identities, those old groups in the same way anymore. That's not who we are. Who we really are now is Christ's. We belong to him. He's, he is the one we're joined to. This changes everything. I know it's massive, really. I remember at school when the group that I was in, I was pleased with the group that I hung with. When I was in year 10 and year 11, there was a group of us, a peer group, and I was proud to be part of it most of the time. I felt, like, yeah, these are the guys I'd really want to. And that, there was a kind of respect that I felt that we got. I remember it was friends of mine who wanted to be in the group. I might you know, be the kind of mediator to get them in if I was being generous. I was the kind of gateway, and if they didn't get blackballed by the others, they would be kind of in if I helped them in. I remember, you might think this is a small thing. You know it's not a small thing, really, because about 15, 20 years later than this, I'm not that old, maybe 15 years later, a friend of mine said to me, from school days, said to me, I just want to say thank you. I mean, he, was, he almost had tears. He was, he was really serious. He said, I want to say thank you that you helped me to get into the circle of friends that we had at school. That was massive for him. It was even massive for him years later. And it shows how big a deal it is to feel like I'm part of the right crowd. The Christian has to be someone who says, all these other belongings come second because really I belong to Jesus. And if I belong to Jesus, it means I belong to you and you belong to me. Anyone who belongs to Jesus is my brother, my sister. We're one together. Whatever your background, whatever, whatever you're like, whatever story you have, whatever you've done, even if we could not be more different in every other way, if we belong to Jesus, we are as close as people could get. Maybe you've seen you know, the classic kind of buddy movies like, like Lethal Weapon or you know, ones that go through the Estarskin Hutch, the ones where two cops get put together who don't like each other. At the start of the film, it's all about how they don't trust each other, they don't like each other, they are nothing like each other. But then they go through something together. They go through an adventure, they go through difficulty, they, maybe they risk their lives, maybe it looks like they're going to die. And there's a scene where it looks like it's over for them. They go through so much. And by the end of the film, they absolutely have each other's back. They are the closest two people in the whole film because of what they went through together. If you're a Christian, so am I. Do you know what? We've been through quite a lot together. We've been through the cross and resurrection of Jesus together, me and you. We're quite close. You might be different than me in every other way. You might look at me and think, I am nothing like you, Mr. Preacher. Oh, yes, you are. 
We've been through a lot, me and you. And you've been through a lot with every Christian on planet Earth. And so your real unity, who you really belong to, becomes not about your tribe. Your roots as the world would like to tell you what your roots are. No, your real identity is with Christ and his people. And this means everything to us because we, we get to have a fresh identity. And Paul even says... He talks about being baptized and he talks about we've clothed ourselves in Christ. We've clothed ourselves in Christ. And I love the musicians to join me while I make this last point. Listen, this is important. When you get baptized, and some of you haven't yet been baptized yet, and I want to encourage you to make sure that you get baptized if you're following Jesus. Go back to your church after New Day and say, I'd like to get baptized this term in the autumn. What happens is you get wet, right? I've worked that out. You come out of the water and you have to put something dry on. You put on something else. You put on something new. And Paul's using that image of baptism, coming out of the water and putting on some other clothes. If you've been baptized into Jesus, into his death and resurrection, you're not under the law anymore. You're not under the bus driver. You're not under the babysitter. You're under the father. You're not what you were. You don't belong to that, that tribe, to that group, to that gang. You don't, that's not who you are. You belong to God's people. That's your, your group now. And, and that means dress like it. Now, I'm not talking about literally what you wear. Okay, That's not what this sermon is about. But it means you start to think differently about yourself. You start to, you start to put on spiritual clothes. This is actually a bit tricky for us because we're more comfortable in the clothes we're used to, aren't we? Sometimes my wife comes back from the shops and she says, I've got you something new. And I'm like, oh no. (laughs) I'm happy with what I've got. And she says, I'll put it on, just put it on. And I'll put it on and sometimes I'll put it on and I'll be like, I don't like it, it's not me, I just don't like this. And then I'll talk to about three other people, and they'll all say, that looks good. I'll say, oh no, is it? I said, my wife thought it was good. They said, well, of course she did. She knows. You haven't got a clue. And it's one of the things about marriage you have to learn. You know, you, you listen to your spouse about what they want you to wear. But if you're married to Christ... You might feel comfortable in your shame. You might feel comfortable in your relationship with the wrong guy, with the wrong girl. You might feel comfortable in your guilt, your sense that you're a failure and there's no future for you. I know it sounds weird, but let's be honest, sometimes that feels comfortable. (laughs) It really does. We feel happier being miserable. It's kind of our way of hiding from God. We're kind of keeping ourselves away from him. Jesus has come to give you robes of righteousness. And they might not feel right at first. You might look at yourself in the mirror and think, I just look stupid. But sooner or later you begin to realize, no, this is actually what I'm meant to wear. There's someone who knows better than you about what you look good in. 
You look good in righteousness. You look good in freedom. You look good free from guilt, free from the law, free from the past, free from the things that control you, even free from the people who control you. You look, you look good free from those things. So wear those robes.